Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here, man, a fun conversation with uh, one of my favorite local guys, Tim Seeley. You know, I, I've uh, really enjoyed my friendship with Tim. Uh, it dates back uh, around the time of the podcast. That's when we kind of met, when he was still at Devil's Do. Uh, working on things like G.I. Joe and the like. And it's just been a pleasure watching Tim create incredible stories, uh, sometimes with uh, his buddy Mike Norton, things like Loaded Bible and also uh, the great series Revival that just wrapped up last year, uh, an incredible image series. And uh, we've got a really great conversation to talk about a lot of things, including Dark Red, a new Aftershock comic that he has. It uh, features a vampire living in rural America. That's kind of Tim's milieu. He grew up in uh, kind of rural Wisconsin, and uh, it's it's good. It's an untapped environment, I think. You know, only guys like him and Lemire, I think, are really starting to like get into that area. Josh Fialkoff, also back in the day with Elks Run. But uh, really good stuff. And uh, it's a great new series from uh, Tim. We talk about that. Of course, he's doing excellent work for DC as well. He uh, just wrapped up the Masters of the Universe versus the Injustice uh, League. You know that from the uh, the video game. And uh, it's a, a very, very funny story. And uh, just, just a great idea. And <laughs> pretty crazy stuff. And who better to do it than a guy like Tim Seeley? He uh, also uh, talks about uh, his work that he did on the Walmart uh, uh, Wonder Woman books. And also he's doing the Walmart Swamp Thing series. Pretty neat stuff. He also has a new X-Men series tying into uh, the current big event at Marvel. We talk about all of that and more. And also just his thoughts on the business. Because, uh, you know, Tim's, Tim's an active creator-owned guy. Uh, Hack Slash has uh, obviously been one of his babies forever, and uh, he's you know not only put out Hack Slash books himself, but he's turned the book over to other creators. We talk a bit about when uh, Teeny Howard was running the series, but uh, it's it's always good to get uh, the uh, temperature of the market from a guy like Tim Seeley, and that's our subject for today on Word Balloon. It's all brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, for your continued support via Patreon. Everyone has been great, and I thank you very much for subscribing to Word Balloon. Uh, if you'd like to uh, join the cause and think Word Balloon is worthy of your attention, uh, you can go to patreon.com and slash Word Balloon, or go to wordballoon.com and click on the Patreon ad, and it will take you to my Patreon page. Thank you very, very much for your support, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by Aftershock Comics, the industry's fastest-growing independent publishing company. They're promoting both new and established comic audiences to read dangerously this year. They're calling it the Year of Reading Dangerously. As a publisher of many of the most talked-about independent titles of the past few years, things like A Walk Through Hell from Garth Ennis, Marguerite Bennett's Animosity, Dark Ark from Cullen Bunn and Juan Doe, Donny Kate's Baby Teeth, Aftershock continues to push the envelope further this year with new releases and ongoing series that continue to thrill, chill, and challenge both imaginations and sensibilities. They're working with top writers and artists and some of the brightest new stars in the creative community. Some of the new titles coming this year, Stronghold with Phil Hester and Ryan Kelly. Oberon, a new supernatural series by Ryan Parrott. Of course, we're talking about Dark Red today from Team Seeley. Out of the Blue and Horde, just to name a few of these titles, they will cut across all genres and take readers far beyond their comfort zones. Now, in the weeks ahead, we'll be talking to more Aftershock creators about their books, but you don't have to wait. Check out full story descriptions, preview pages, and the diamond codes on these books to order through your local shop at AftershockComics.com. Okay, without further ado, let's get into our conversation with Tim Seeley, now on Word Balloon. I am thrilled to welcome Tim Seeley back to Word Balloon, as always. Uh, it's funny. We're local guys, and we see each other a lot. But, uh, you know, I, I'm sorry. We should talk more than we do. I, it's been a while. I think the the, the, the uh, lunch uh, conversation might have been the last time we podcasted. Did we have one yeah, since then? Last Christmas. Our, we did, a, we did our, our, our – I thought it was going to be an annual Christmas thing, John. And then, I and then you had to go and – so, um, you know, another another Christmas, we'll sit down and have drinks besides the fireplace. And here, our, here, you know, wearing just our uh, our just our bathrobes. You know, it'll be it'll be really really romantic and warm. That's true. We are speaking during, however, uh, the polar vault vortex that uh, has uh, trapped Chicago. Uh, it's the second day, so it's not as intense as it was the first day, but it's intense enough. It is pretty intense. I've I've seen some cold shit, but <laughs> this is. Uh, <laughs> This is really up there. <laughs> yeah, man. 
Um, well, you've got a lot of uh, great uh, projects uh, as far as uh, current and future stuff. But before we get to all that, I did want to acknowledge um, the Injustice versus Masters of the Universe crossover because we know from previous conversations that you're quite the He-Man fan, you and, you and your brother, and you did that excellent uh, coffee table book yep. about the art of He-Man and everything. So, uh, so yeah, and I, and I love the Injustice take on on uh, the DC universe it's a great parallel universe and it's angrier versions of of the characters and um got it at one time i think it was the best justice league book uh, that was out there when tom taylor was writing it you know so tell me tell me about uh, putting these two worlds together yeah i mean you know when they when dc asked me like uh, i got an email from christy quinn which just said uh hey we know you always want to do he-man with us uh are you ready and i was like yes and then they said <laughs> It's a crossover with Injustice. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then uh, uh, so it took me like maybe a couple hours and I was just kind of wandering around like, uh, I don't know if that's kind of how I wanted to do this. And there's been crossovers with Superman and, and DC Universe before. And then, well, yeah, there was that was uh, the first one of the first DC Comics presents was uh, Superman and He-Man, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and it was one of the first comics I ever got, actually, was that comic. Hilarious. Uh, Fantastic. So that was one of the motivations. And the other one was I had the idea, which was, wait, if Superman is bad, then He-Man takes his place. In this wor- in this story, like, he's the one who has to convince Superman that he's wrong. I mean, he's, it's, he, He-Man is the pure sort of soul in this story that, that Batman uh, isn't and could never be and that this Superman isn't. So the idea then had to be like, this this flip where you know he-man is is the good and pure and he's the dc universe basically of this story and he's put in this interaction with the the much darker injustice you um but it was you know i mean it ended up being a lot of fun to work on and i actually really loved it uh i actually ended up really having a lot of affection for the injustice stuff um tom taylor stuff and also the guys over at netherrealm um, I got to meet those guys, and and just the amount of work and story they put into this thing is kind of incredible. So, um, I got to ha- hang out with one of their storyboard directors, this guy Dominic, and he explained kind of what they were going for, and the and I I think I finally kind of got it. I, when it originally came out, I think Injustice to me was like, oh, I, I I don't want bad Superman. I don't have any interest in bad Superman ever. But when I sort of heard people talk about it and how I could use that to tell a story about heroism and about being good i think i it finally came around for me that's cool is um is this its own thing i mean was there any reference to the former team up or, or crossover between uh, he-man and superman no it's its own thing i mean it's okay that in the injustice universe so it, it comes after game two okay. um mm-hmm. and it comes after there's two endings so it comes after the um what they call the bad ending and uh you can sp- I, at this point, I mean, it's Injustice yeah, 2's been out for a while. Because yeah, I don't even know. I mean, I've only watched, um, you know, I, I, I'm one of these idiots that cannot handle a PlayStation uh, a game controller. And I remember trying to play like Batman Arkham City. And all I could really do is make Batman walk in a circle. And I'm yeah. just like, all right, I, I, I think, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's time to stop trying to play video games. It's all right. Or I'll take a crash course at some point. But I love the stories, and I have no idea. Tell me what the, yeah, tell me what the ending of Injustice 2 was, the bad ending. Well, the Injustice 2 ending is basically, you know, that they, the Batman and, and Superman team up to fight um, Brainiac. And then in the bad ending, Brainiac uh, loses, but Superman takes control of all his technology and uses it to enslave everybody. Um, including wow. that. Yeah. Wow. So, so our story picks up from the bad ending. Um, basically the, you know, the DC universe was overtaken by Superman and Brainiac's technology. And there's a small group of rebels left over. Um, and they've kind of been on the run, uh, running through the multiverse basically with the help of Zatanna and, um, Swamp Thing as kind of refugees from Superman's regime. And they're looking for someone who can help them. And they end up on Eternia and they find this guy who's as good as Superman used to be. And he has a big magic sword, and they're like, "This is our guy." So that's <laughs> that's sort of the the plot, you know. Then they bring him back to Earth. Meanwhile, we find out um, that Darkseid actually has kind of been waiting for He Man to leave because he wants Grayskull because it has inside it the uh, the anti life equation. So there wow. you go. Wow, <laughs> nice, yeah. Jesus, that's fantastic, man. Hilarious. 
Yeah, it's like the best. I think it's the best thing I've written as far as superhero stuff goes, um, <laughs> for sure. And it's you know, I mean, like I took it seriously. I didn't sure really fun of anything. You know, I I think that would be the easy way out to sort of be like, oh, this kid stuff, and and you know, but or or try to gritty He Man up, which I also didn't do. Um, so I think it really works. I mean, it's I'm super proud of it. Freddie Williams did amazing work on it, and I think like you know, overall, it's the best reaction i've gotten from readers ever i think really because it, yeah i think so for sure i mean maybe besides you know create our own stuff so i feel like i was kind of worried about it but i think it, i think it turned out i mean I, I, i'm happy with it I'm, I'm really excited that they're putting a trade out in april I, I hope people read it after they've heard good stuff about it so um and you know i mean it's i think it fits in if you liked injustice it, it fits in completely with with the game. And if you like He-Man, it fits in completely with, with that too. That's excellent, man. And again, I know your love for the He-Man universe and certainly your love for superheroes. So you were the right guy for this. And, um, that sounds terrific. I'm, I'm glad uh, that, uh, the, the fans have, uh, responded positively and yeah, it did. That is kind of a tough assignment. So I give you credit for uh, making it happen. That's awesome. Well done. I, I had lots of training. So like, I feel like, you know, every once in a while you get that thing where you're like, Oh, I might be one of the few people who can do this. So <laughs> it was one of those cases. Did like you, everything else, you know, you could probably get somebody else to do this, but this, you might need me for this one. I, I would say so. Did you, uh, did you talk to Steve like throughout and everything and like, yeah, just to I have kept, somebody to sound off on, you know, and everything. Yeah. And I would always send him like the, the moments I basically like, use my brother as a test, uh, audience because I'd send him like, I sent him this page, which was, um, I mean, spoiler, but at the end, you see the character Zodak flying through the cosmos with Metron, you know, they're both in their chairs and, and like they're going through space and they're partners now. And I sent it to my brother and he was like, holy fuck. And I knew I did. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's great. You know, I've, ne- I've never asked you because you're also an artist and I know you don't draw as much as you used to. But um, when you submit scripts to artists and stuff, do you ever like give breakdowns or go, I see it this way? Or are you totally like, nope, full script. The artist knows what he's doing. Do your thing. Yeah, mostly. Um, I almost always give them full script. Um, but so for Dark Red, I actually did do layouts for it. So I kind of okay. wrote it. I wrote it sort of in a fusion of script and and I did the layouts kind of at the same time. Um, and then get, I gave that to Corin and she worked from from my layouts uh, with with this sort of script. And then while she was drawing it, I rewrote the dialogue 17 times. So. <laughs> <laughs> So that was the downside of doing something from art first because, you know, I, it wasn't sort of etched in my head as much as stuff is when I go straight to script. So, and maybe that's what caused me to just keep writing and keep writing. And I think it turned out better for it, but um, usually I don't do that much rewriting. Okay, let's get into Dark Red. Dark Red is your Aftershock uh, comic. And uh, first of all, how did they approach you with uh, coming over there and uh, giving them something to do? Or have you done? Have you done other? Yeah, I did a book through them called Brilliant Trash, which I really like, but I don't think anybody read. Um, it's sort of a cyberpunk superhero thing. Um, and that was, it, it kind of had, it was victim to a bunch of stuff that when they first started. We kind of lost an artist and we had all these problems. So um, so Mike had, Mike Martin kind of said, you know, let's do something else at some point, but let's let's try to make up for the mistakes we made on this one uh, between us. And, and he said, I, I kind of feel like you should do a horror story. Um, and so Dark Red was a pitch I'd, I'd been working on, and I had I talked to Vertigo about doing it, and I talked to uh, 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 other people about doing it, and everybody's always like, oh, it's such a cool idea, but you have to write the shit out of that thing. Like, that was everybody I says, like, whatever, whenever you do it, I think um, Mark Doyle at Vertigo said, if you do this, it has to be, you have to treat it like it's the last comic book you'll ever write. That's what Mark said. And I was like, fuck, I'm t- intimidated as shit to write this thing, but... Um, <laughs> When I sent it to Mike, he was like, no, this is the one. I'd sent him a couple other ideas, but he kind of insisted that that was the, the right one. Um, so uh, they picked, they sent me some artists, and Corn was one of them, and I kind of felt like she brought the right um, vibe to it. And uh, so they paired us up, and, and uh, we're working on it now. So, you know, they announced it comes out in April. Um, I'm on issue three, so. Yeah, fuck. it feels pretty good, I think. It's based on my, you know, it's kind of something I feel like, and, and maybe this is what happened with Masters of the Universe and Justice, too, is also, it's just that 
sometimes you have to write you just have to write things you know you know like yeah this is your milieu i mean this this is yeah. kind of a sister book to revival in some ways right yeah it's kind of like halfway between revival and hexlash i think it's it's you know it's uh it's set in a small town it's very much rural it's about um you know sort of the modern monster but it's also kind of funny and dark um and it's not it doesn't take itself 100 percent as serious like I, it's still serious but it it has kind of that um that sort of snarky uh, uh, satire feel that Hackslash does to some degree, where it's just cool. sort of we're clearly making an allegory, we're making fun of some shit, and it's kind of brutal. And it's like I I like to get to make fun of things I hate, and this allows me to do that. <laughs> That's good. Well, you know, and honestly, uh, I think we need more humor in our horror right now. I don't know. I mean, you yeah. Know, well, I mean, it kind of fell out of favor to to some degree. You know, I I know when I go to movies places, you know, when they ask me to pitch stuff, like the, one of the things they always say is like, you know, grounded and and you know, dark and not not funny. Like that, that's always the thing. And I kind of feel like you're right. Like there's not enough of that stuff. And when it does hit, it it really hits. I think it works better than anything else. Get Out is is a funny horror movie. And it was Absolutely huge, yes. a huge hit. Um, and it takes itself seriously when it needs to, but it also it's satirical and it's, um, you know, so this is in that vein, I guess, in a way that in a similar way that hack slash is, even though the characters are taken seriously, their, their, their feelings, their plight is taken seriously. It's just that there are aspects of their world that are clearly a metaphorical shit on something that pisses me off. <laughs> so this is, as you say, it takes place in kind of rural Midwest and it's about a guy, a, a, a vampire that's kind of living among us in this like kind of rural community. Yeah, it takes place in a small town called Falls End, North Dakota, and it's it's just one of those places that you know is kind of uh, the, the forgotten places, you know, full of the forgotten people. The in the ways that you know, sort of uh, cultures and and uh, financial th- uh, economy has been dominated by. By the cities, this is one of those sort of forgotten places. It's you know it's off a highway and it's kind of dying. Their industry is left, and Chip, our main guy, lives there um, by choice. And we, as we see in the story, you know, for vampires that's rare because uh, for vampires it's really, I mean, it's really hard to survive um, when you're not near any other vampires. We don't have help. Uh, so him living on, on you know on the outskirts and trying to. To make this work, I mean, he has to work at a Seven Eleven because and we don't call it that. It's called Buffalo Jump in our story, but um, he works at an all-night gas station off the highway because he has to provide himself uh, with somewhere to go when the sun comes up, and he has to, you know, have a car because he has to travel back and forth between his job and his and where he lays his coffin. And I mean, and he just and he's barely making ends meet, and he's struggling, and and so that kind of sets up our story. Interesting. Working class vampire. Yeah. I, I like that. it. No, that's cool, man. That's that's really interesting. So, um, as you say, now now how did how did you guys find uh Corinne? Um it was something somebody that Mike wanted to work with. And uh Martz always kind of keeps a uh a stable of people that he, you know, wants to find a book for, wants to match up with something. So she had done some stuff that he liked. Um and she did some she's done some horror stuff recently and she had done some stuff at uh IDW and um, he just thought her storytelling was was really good and that's kind of what drew me to it too was that she was really good at, at acting which you know like the faces and the and the expressions and the movements that I think is you know sometimes gets ignored in the in the drive to make things look cool as shit but sometimes things aren't told well so she does that she she's really great at the at the character acting very cool have you have you had a chance to talk to her face to face or is it mostly skype and uh yeah we just you know we're just like people have long distance working relationships so um we'll catch up i'm sure at some conventions but she wasn't somebody i i knew i mean i try to for most of my projects i do bring in people that i've at least had a beer with but um yeah but she isn't she's she's new which is cool i mean i it's it's good to expand my um my collaborators uh you know, and be able to work with, with, and she's pretty, she's fairly new at this. And I'm now at this point, an old jaded grizzled vet. So, so it's good to mix us. I think. How many years now for you in comics? Uh, professionally, professionally. It is 19. 
Wow. Started in two- yeah. Jeez, man. Was Devil's Due? Yeah. Devil's Due was the break, right? Well, I started at um, doing stuff for Avatar and Dead Dog Comics when I was in 2000 when I was 23. Okay. And then I moved to Chicago to work at Devil's Due in 2003, so um, when I was 25. So Crazy. 2002. 2002. So I was, tw- yeah, 25. Um, yeah, shit. So, I mean, I've only had this job really for about 18 years. <laughs> I had, when I first started comics, I had a job, and I did comics at night, and now... This is the only job I've had for 18 years. Well, and I, honestly, congratulations on making it work and and having that balance of both mainstream stuff. We're going to get into a swamp thing in a second, but um, yeah, I'm I'm really glad that uh, you know people like Aftershock are interested in your stuff, and also you know you're able to do your own stuff like with Revival and things like that. Um, you know, last time we talked, we we really got into where the market is right now or was, I guess, and and certainly in a year. The, the market has once again I think uh it's changed you know, once a, yes absolutely man and I and I think there are publishers I you know everyone is kind of wondering how long the the monthly you know uh 20 page or 22 page comic survives yeah I don't know I mean I, I had a long conversation last night with Matt Pizzolo at um, black mask because he, he and I kind of every once in a while just kvetch and try to understand things um but you know, one of the things we talked about is just this – a year ago at this time, there was this real doom and gloom that, like, stores were closing and that, you know, there was this sort of perception that um, that this that 2018 was going to be, like, a really bad year for comics. And it wasn't. It it was good. Uh, not great, but it was good. And um, so it's it's this weird thing of, of – I don't know. No, there is no other industry where there's sort of this – persistent gloom and doom and I, I, I it's weird because we we do all right um we have problems i think you know one of the problems now is 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 the lack of expansion in um in physical store spaces because i do think the monthly has more years to it i don't think it's going away um but i think to some degree there is a change overall in in what is going to be the dominant um, sales thing for any store. I mean, I think so many stores now rely, they do rely on that monthly uh, comic book. The, you know, having new uh, floppies, I guess, uh, every week. Right. And that's how you you know sort of front the business. And I think that part will change. I don't think it's it's I don't think it's as dominant as it was. I think most stores know that. Most stores have a, a wide selection of trades. Yes. Um, you know, so yeah, I don't I don't know. At what point does it become? less like a newsstand and more like a bookstore right now it kind of exists in between. Um, and, and I think also, you know, there's to some degree, and I hate to say this cause I benefit from there being a lot of content, but it seems like maybe there's too much content. Um, and most retailers can't, you know, they can't get everything. So right. hard for them just this, you know, and that's one thing Matt and I talked about is like how many facings can a store have, if they have less facings and more copies, they make more money, right? Instead of a lot more facings and less copies. Uh, so, so when you say facings, literally, it's like uh, less titles, yeah, what, but more. Yeah, uh, what's on the shelf? Right. I mean, obviously, you know, a comic book takes up physical space, and if you have a uh, hundred titles and you only have two copies of each, uh, that is less good than having fifty facings and six copies of each, right? Sure. So. So, you, you know, it's just this um, it's this thing where I, we're in a transition that way. And I think, you know, uh, I think a lot of stores are kind of finding out, you know, what their who their audience that keeps coming back is, because I think that's a little bit different than it was, because um, there is so many there was there was a lot of new readers coming into this recently and, and they have different habits. So you have, you know, the female readers and the kids and all these sort of different uh, groups of people that don't have the same habits as as the traditional you know comic buyer yeah absolutely no i agree with that and also it seems even the publishers are starting to realize that and pull back i mean god i i had no idea and then i was reading uh you know things like bleeding cool where they're like all of a sudden dc has you know just over 50 titles and it's yeah like, they really wow. went down. i think they're they should probably have more titles i think you know 
Marvel and DC being strong and having a lot of different accessible stuff is good. Um, and but I think the, the hard part is just like, you know, Image Books competing with, Aftershock Books competing with, Black Mask Books competing with, TKO Books competing with, Vault Books. All that stuff I think is tough uh, as far as monthlies go. In trades, it seems like it works a little better because you can say, well, this is our science fiction fandom and this is our fantasy fandom and have, you know, it's a little bit easier to pick your audience for that kind of stuff, you know. Um, but with monthlies, you know, you're kind of just, you're just throwing it out there to see what sticks. Well, and like you say, too, you have to really know your audience and know what they what they want and, and curate to their taste, um, which, yeah, I mean, yeah, I can appreciate the challenge. I mean, we're again, we're always so lucky being in Chicago and having the the giant stores that we do that really go deep and uh you know can can really uh provide a lot of different choices and stuff um but again i yeah it's it is risky and i and i uh no i, I you know it's a it's it's an interesting time and yeah you're right i mean look at look at all the new uh publishers that have suddenly popped up like tko and ahoy you know yeah. uh it's it's an interesting time where i'm surprised that they are coming coming in and uh, giving a shot. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting too because I had an opportunity to have a, a buddy, you know, from back in in college who in, wanted to open a comic book store, and he asked me about you know going in with him as far as investing, and and I had to be like really think about it, and I, I kind of in the end decided I would do it, and then I had some business troubles with one of my contractors not paying me, so I. I had to not. I had to pull out. I couldn't pay. You know, couldn't give him the money because someone else didn't pay me. So, um, but I had to really think about it, and I kind of finally came down on like, no, I think it's a good idea to open a store. Um, and the way he wanted to do it, I thought was good. But it was also like I see the fears of someone wanting to do this because it's not, you know, it's it, it doesn't have the the stability that most retail wants, and you have to build an audience, and you have to, you know, you have to do with it something that you don't have to do with so much other retail that it, it's, it's scary and I, I get it. Like I, I, I sat and looked at a business plan and went through numbers and went, Holy shit. You know, well, in, independent retailers what, in general, I mean, and yeah, you're right. I think it is worse for, for comic book stores, but God, man, I mean, you know, was it, la- it was last year or two years ago, the meltdown, you know, in, in LA had to close down because, you know, um, I think an independent retailer, it's tougher for them to hang on to good real estate then you know the right. corporate giant that's, comes in and, and puts a franchise there, and I mean, that's that's same, really shitty. But that's kind of the reality right now. And St. Mark's too. I mean, St. Mark's was there for thirty six years, and that's a great store and it's a legend. But also, they're in the village in New York City, which you know is not uh, the neighborhood it was when they opened. You know, right? It's like prime, re- prime real estate now. Prime real yeah. estate, and yeah, I mean that's again like that's something uh, that you know you can discuss in the larger context and it's something you know i think about when i was writing dark red too is just things have changed as far as the way cities work and the way people invest in cities and the disinvestment in rural places and the disinvestment in in like parts of cities instead of you know like here in chicago of course they put money downtown and they don't put it in the neighborhoods and new york city is sort of the same way the money goes to manhattan and then it doesn't you know i mean yeah and you see these things the, the same patterns over and over as far as you know the way i think people get uh, hurt by by our system and and it makes me solely turn into a, a preaching populist by the time i get to my my comic stories you know when uh, when do you think uh, you'll be doing more image books uh, in the near future are you i mean is that still obviously revival i think you know did great for you and mike norton um but yeah i mean is that is that still a viable model yeah absolutely i think it's the best model still um I just, you know, I have to sort of stagger my businesses so that I, I work for, um, for hire for a while, and then I build up funds, and then I have enough money to do a creator own book, and and to wait six months to get paid, and you know, it's it's this, it's just the way that you have to do business because you don't have the kind of upfront money to make a huge investment. You can do it, you know, every once in a while, and then you're taking a risk and. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just, you know, I go into these, uh, periods where I'm like, well, I really need to, to do some work now and I need to get someone to pay me and, and then I need to be able to turn around and now I've got six months where I can, I can do my own thing and, um, and take that risk 
and by God, I hope it works. And so far, I've been lucky. All my Patreon stuff is has paid off, even if it just broke even, like you know, like Colt Noble and the Mega Lords or Loaded Bible or something. Sure, uh, sure. You know, they're not big hits, but they all broke even. So that's um, great, man. Well, that's really great. I, Colt Noble was part of your uh, was it Double Shot? What were, what were you guys called when you were doing your digital comics? Yeah, um, I, okay, was that part? Was that part of it? Yeah, cool. we did it for that. I did it for Image first, and then I did it for um, for for Double Feature. Double Feature, yeah. I think so. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, that was like I'm always experimenting with stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm always trying shit. So, like, let's try a new distribution. Like, with Grave Dangers, like, let's try to do, you know, this, go with Comicsology Originals and see what happens when you do a book direct to digital and there is no print. And um, I'm always going to try shit. I mostly get punished for it when I try it, but at least <laughs> I give it a shot, you know? No, I understand. Um, what do you think of, um, and now I'm blanking on what their name is, but uh, the Korean publisher that's uh, digital, uh, that everyone is... Uh, Line Web. What's that again? Line Webtoons. Li- yes, we- yeah, Webtoons, exactly. Line Webtoons, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's massive. You know, when I went to China they, uh, for um, that read show... Line Webtoon was one of the sponsors, so I met those guys then. Uh, before they were even in the United States, uh, they were kind of working on it. And uh, yeah, I mean, it could be some way of the future, but it's also, I think it's kind of in a lot of ways, I don't know, it's really risky for the creators. I mean, you're doing something, really just throwing it out there amongst uh, amongst a whole bunch of stuff and hope that you get seen enough. And I mean, it's the same shit, I guess, but it's just... It's risky now. I think there's not a lot of Western stuff on there. It's a lot of Eastern manga style stuff. Okay. Which is great. A lot of different um, genres represented that, like, the biggest comics on there are romance, pretty much. Almost all the biggest ones are Slice of Life or Romance, um, which is amazing. Yeah. yeah. That's but, great. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I, I wonder if something like that would work here, if it would end up exploiting people. I don't know. I'm I'm watching it with a lot of interest, and I I would definitely you know I actually it's funny you mention it because I was actually like this weekend going through and reading all the guidelines, just sort of trying to to see what if there's a way I could do something there just to try it, you know. Uh, sure. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it's it's a wild ass future for sure. It's the wild west, man. I don't know. I don't know where it it's is. Going. The wild west. No, I agree with you. And again, it, they they kind of came out of nowhere. And I'm intrigued by you know our friends that are writing and drawing books for them. Uh, well, and again, books air quotes, you know, uh, yeah. content, yeah, content for them, yeah, content, yeah, yeah, and and also just the Korean market in general, as I understood it, um, really took to cell phone content quicker uh, in a lot of ways a few years ago yeah. and stuff, and it's yeah, kind of you sure. know very entrenched in terms like ebooks and things like that do quite well. In uh, in Korea, which I find interesting, yeah, very very cool. Now you know, and you mentioned you mentioned the horror film world, and uh, how are things going for you uh, in that world? Good, we're working on revival. It's you know, I mean, the, the education was this shit takes forever, um, but we're because we're doing it, you know, without going through a major studio, and we're independently financing a film, and we're working with a distributor and stuff, and. And we should have stuff to talk about with that soon, I think. But, um, yeah, man, I, it's, <laughs> it is it is hard to make stuff. It is, it's just so fucking hard. In movies, you know, you're talking about so much more money and so much more um, opposition because the system that works for Hollywood is kind of based on the idea that they don't let in a lot of other possibilities because the studio system relies on, on the, the old way. Sure, the classic distribution and everything else. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's hard, man. It's it's, but the guys, you know, Luke and Brett have been working their asses off, um, and everything we I've seen is great, and the screenplay is great, and so I'm I'm excited, but I'm also exhausted. I don't know. I'm just so tired. I, I like I just feel like at a certain point you're just like you just want things to be made without it being every moment of it being the hardest thing you ever did, you know, like, <laughs> wow. yeah, no, I understand. Well, and also <laughs> compared to comics where literally, you know, and especially some of the things that you've done where you can just draw it and put it up there and boom. Okay. We're done. Let's move right. on to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just the, you know, the amount of, of stuff that 
I would never have considered, but watching these guys do it, I'm, you know, I'm glad that they have that expertise, you know, I mean, they've, they've worked on a lot of films, so they know, you know, the stuff like, you can't, uh, skip a union breakfast on a Sunday and all this sort of stuff that you're like, Oh, Hey, that's a whole thing, you know? Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's been interesting to watch. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I love film. I think it's like the thing I like second only to comics, I guess. And, you know, I do know I would like to go see some of the stuff I've created up uh, on a screen, but I'm not a hundred percent sure how much I'd want to work in film now that I, I mean, maybe, but like watching this, be like, Oh, this is, this is a lot of work. This is interesting. so much work. No, I understand. Um, yeah, it's no, it's an interesting time and it is, uh, I appreciate you like kind of letting us in and, and the other creators as well that have these development deals and are moving along with their, with their projects and, yeah, it's you know going from comics to uh, to film is is definitely interesting. Is the afterlife of revival? It's funny to describe it that way, given the content of <laughs> yeah. the story. But yeah, how, how's it? You know, I mean, is it still like a, a store still buying the trades? And you know, is it is it doing okay? Yeah, I mean the so the the um, you know the quarter two quarters ago, I guess. So last year at this time was like the most we ever made on revival. So like there is an afterlife for this kind of thing. And I think, I think part of it is we wrapped it and people were like the, the general vibe was, Hey, it ended well, you know? Like there, so it like really helped us because people went, all right, fuck it. I'll go back and read it. Now I heard it ended well, which is so weird, but I mean, you know, I've talked about this before, but I think to some degree people just want to know, like people would be happy to know the ending of a movie. If that, if they were sure that it was satisfying, then they'd go see it. <laughs> yeah. You know I mean, no, I understand. Uh, sure. So, to, to some degree, I think there's a little bit of that going on with Revival, whereas like everyone knew it was a contained story, and they're like, well, I, I could invest in this, or I could just wait to hear if it's decent, and if people tell me it's good, then I'll, I'll check it out. So, um, you know, and I think for the most part, I think people felt like we got to the ending that it needed, so, um, so it helped us, for sure. But that made me suddenly realize, like, my God, what if you blew the ending on something? <laughs> <laughs> like sure. For, well, like if well, you're George R. R. Martin and you're working on all this Game of Thrones shit, and there's this anticipation, and you get to the end and you fuck it up, <laughs> you know, it's like holy shit. Well, how many how, how many TV shows? How many TV shows? Do you have a bad last episode. I mean, yeah. as great as great as Seinfeld was, it was like all right, that last episode yeah. was like you know Hard something. To to, what do you choose? Yeah, yeah. But ba- ba- I know Battlestar Galactica very content lost. I mean, that's the thing. A lot of these great shows, it's like really that's it. All right, you know. Yeah. For sure. So, so no, it's a, it's I can appreciate that. Is um, there was something else I wanted to ask regarding uh, revival in terms of uh, oh, it, did did it teach you? Have you learned any lessons in terms of okay, the next time I do a long image series, did it you know? Do you think was re- revival the right length? Do you would you think that it might work better? Future stories might work better if they were shorter because that's that's the thing that I think is, is the big equation is the sustained interest in a lot of these ongoing, you know, image books that you guys all put out and women, um, you know, that sometimes there's that initial blush of, Oh, this is really cool. And then you get to issue 30 or, or beyond. And it's like, okay, how much longer, you know? Yeah. I would say when we were at, let's say issue 30 or 35, I was like, what are we doing? This is too long. Um, I should never do something this long. But I would say now my I'm changed a little bit because it's the right amount of content I think for people going into something that they've heard is you know good or, or that they might be interested in, so they can get you know eight trades worth of something or four hardcovers worth of something. That's the right amount now. Okay. Um, that said, I think if I was doing something new and I knew it was going to be finite, I would probably. S- have it go 20 or 24 maybe like somewhere in there interesting Uh, okay because that's you know four trades and that's two hardcovers and that's two years um which i think is right about the right time to to keep people interested and also to keep yourself interested um you know yeah i I feel like that's probably what i would i would do okay Uh, if i could i mean on the other hand, something like Hackslash is built to just go on for as long as I have ideas, and if I have ideas, sure. I can do it. So that's really nice too, you know. Like, 
I had an idea for chaos crossover and I told dynamite, they're like, yeah, let's do it. Um, and being able to just do that is great. I couldn't be like, Oh, I had an idea for a crossover revival with, with, uh, injustice. Like it's not, <laughs> it can't be done. Right. It just, it doesn't, it, it's, it's much more focused. It's much smaller, um, by design. So I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. I think, you know, we're going to see more people and a lot of these smaller publishers are going to try this stuff, uh, doing, you know, uh, announcing something as a 16 issue run or, or as a, as a 20 issue run to see and, and saying like, this is a big story, but it's not forever. You know, right. Someone's going to try it. So, well, that's the thing. I mean, hack slash is kind of a good, um, container to put Cassie in a bunch of different situations when the inspiration hits you. Right. Whereas revival was just one story. And, you know, I mean, right. that's, you know, so, yeah, they're, they're different animals, definitely. Yeah. So that's cool. Now, did you, was that, was that chaos crossover? Was that last year? Was it, uh, what's no, going, it's going on? right now? Oh, excuse uh, me. Issue, issue three comes out this week, I think, or, um, yeah, yeah. Or next week. Excellent. Are you writing oh that or yeah, did you? So I'm writing it and doing the cover. So, um, yeah, it's just big and fun and crazy. And it's just like, you know, all the stuff. I wouldn't normally do with Hackslash, like Cassie running around with a giant sword in a, you know, like Jack Kirby, uh, crazy end of the universe thing. Like it's, it's nutty and fun. And, um, I'm having a hell of a lot of fun with it. I think, uh, it's one of my, you know, more inspired Hackslash pairings for sure. That's awesome. Very cool. Who's your artist? Uh, the guy Seelor. I worked with him on the, the series that just came out through image with, uh, with Teeny. Uh, and he's awesome. He, uh, oh, very cool. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah. Last time we talked, Teeny was uh, doing hack slash stuff. So that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Now she's highfalutin and too big for me. So that's all right. Good for her. Add a girl. <laughs> no. Yeah. Absolutely. No. I'm. I'm really happy for her. I. I, I like yeah. how. Oh, it's great. Doors yeah. have opened for her, and and also audiences have been receptive to her writing. She's a great writer. Yeah. And yeah. They, well, that's what happens, man. You you find you know you 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 you. Uh, You've you've rubbed up against both great writers and artists and stuff that have gone on to bigger and better things. I mean, you know, uh, you know, I I just wrapped up a conversation with Tom King last month before I got sick, and uh, yeah. you know, I know you guys had fun with your collaboration and everything, and I'm glad you guys are still uh, hanging out. And when I see you guys at uh, conventions and stuff, yeah, I mean that guy's amazing. I, I I it's so weird to be the guy who is like the old pro with this new guy and that new guy became like the new Alan Moore. It's such a weird, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> it's a very weird thing. I mean, it has, it. I just, it's weird. I don't understand, um, kind of how, how I fit into all this and whether it will matter in the end. It's sort of like, I guess it's like being like Glenn Ween when you hired Alan Moore for Swamp Thing, even though you made up Swamp Thing. Sure. <laughs> sure. Like, it's got to be kind of weird for Alan, you know, for Len to have, have looked at that and been like, oh, yeah, Alan defined a new genre with my guy. Um, and that, that is to some degrees, I guess, the way it is with, with Grayson. You know, it's like that was sort of an initial idea that that Tom and I came up with. And, and I put a lot of the earlier stuff into it. And then he just rose like a phoenix out of it and just went on to Batman is making, you know, like winning all the awards. And I mean, Mr. Miracle is, is one of the most, um, sort of complete and competent, uh, examples of comic book storytelling, uh, maybe, uh, ever made. So it's just amazing to watch it go on and do all that stuff. I always love when this happens. I mean, I, I think back to, and through word balloon, I've, you know, watched people like when, um, Brew Baker was mentoring fraction, when fraction was mentoring, remember, remender when, uh, Bendis was helping Hickman out early on and, and learning, you know, the mainstream ropes and stuff like that. So, no, it's, I think it's cool. And, uh, yeah, I think, I, I think it's great. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued and I, I'm curious to see how I know DC has uh, gone one step further and people like Snyder are running, you know, writer classes and things like that. And it'll be interesting to see what kind of talent develops from that kind of nurturing. So. I think that's yeah. smart. I think it only helps the the business having, you know, experienced people helping out new writers and showing them the ropes and, you, you know. replacement. Well, no, I, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, seriously, like you and Tom are different writers. And it's, no, um, that's, and that, by the way, that's the other interesting thing is when two writers do get together on a book 
and it is something different than what they would have done individually. And I and I really I felt that way about Grayson. I really felt that way about um, you know Kurt Busiek and uh, Jeff Johns back in the day. They they collaborated on a Superman uh, arc, and it was different from a Jeff's story, and it was different from a Kurt story. You yeah. know, stuff like that. So, I yeah, think actually, I really like. I like the collaboration. I actually really miss it. It was one of my favorite books to work on was Grayson because just getting to call up Tom and be like, okay, let's talk about what this is going to be. And, and, you know, knowing that we agreed on essentially all the, the basics and that, you know, um, and that what we would be doing differently would just be how we were telling it or, um, you know, and adding our own sort of flair or interest. Like that was really fun. That was, it was a lot of fun. And I, I feel like, you know, that's kind of what I miss, um, most of my writing stuff is just me staring at a screen, having conversations with myself in my head, you know? Sure. Um, whereas, you know, when I drew all the time, it was a lot more collaborative. I could sit and draw and talk to people while I did it. I could do all these sort of things that um, I can't do now. So, um, yeah, Grayson was, that was tons of fun. I wish I could do something like that again. Before we get to Swamp Thing, um, you did Green Lanterns for a while? Yeah. And how was that that experience? <laughs> I mean, I, I really liked it, and I thought I, I really liked the character of Jess, and I, I don't have, like, a huge love for Green Lantern history or anything. I thought maybe that would be the advantage, um, being able to come into it and be like, I just like these characters, and I want to take them into new directions. Um, and, I mean, I, I my pitch was exactly the one that Grant Morrison did, uh, except he included, like, and the, and then they fight God. Um, so I feel like I was on the <laughs> track. But, yeah, it's weird. I mean, I just, I don't know. To some degree, I feel like that was the book where the readers just didn't, I don't know. I don't know if they were just kind of not super satisfied with the characters and the fact that it was sort of a, it's a, it's a book about newbies and I think it should be, and it should be aimed at new readers. But I feel like, I don't know with that one. I just never, I didn't make it connect. And I feel a little bit sort of, I don't know, like I failed it a little bit. I mean, I, I had a ton of fun and I, I thought I did what it needed to be, but I also feel like I should have made it, a hit. I should have made it huge. I should have, if it was possible, could I do that? You know? And I don't think I quite got there. Like I sort of hold myself to the standard. Like, well, I got to fucking Jeff Johns, this thing. I got to make all of a sudden people go, Whoa, Green Lanterns is cool. <laughs> like, but I, I don't know. I don't think I did it. Um, but I mean, I had a lot of fun. I like, I love writing science fiction. I love writing space stuff. Um, but I think that was a hard, it was a hard book in the end to sell to people. I think, you know, that the, maybe the passion for Green Lantern is really about the 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 huge world and all the you know fancy of universe that that Jeff made up and that other other people contributed to. And for sure. me, it's, it's like I don't, I don't I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in people having superhero problems. Like you're uh, on in space, you're you're a cop with the most respected badge in the universe, and when you get home, you can't get a job at a restaurant. Like that's that's interesting to me. Um, and maybe I didn't read the room like I should have or something. I don't know. It's interesting. I, I think about it a lot. Um, so, <laughs> but I, you know, you get a gig and you work your ass off and you make something you, you like and you hope that it resonates with other people. Fair enough. I hear you, man. Okay, let's take a break and uh, get into our sponsor. This portion of Word Balloon brought to you by Aftershock Comics the industry's fastest-growing independent publishing company, promoting both new and established comic audiences to read dangerously. They're claiming 2019 as the year of reading dangerously. As a publisher of many of the most talked-about independent titles of the past few years, things like Marguerite Bennett's Animosity, Garth Ennis's A Walk Through Hell, Dark Ark from Cullen Bunn and Juan Doe, and, of course, Donny Cates and Baby Teeth, Aftershock is pushing the envelope even further this year with new releases and ongoing series that continue to thrill, chill, and challenge both imaginations and sensibilities. Aftershock is working with top writers and artists and some of the brightest new stars in the creative community. Some of the new titles that are coming out uh, this year are things like Stronghold with Phil Hester and Ryan Kelly, Oberon, a new supernatural series featuring Ryan Parrott, Dark Red, a vampire living in rural America from Tim Seeley, and things like Out of the Blue and Horde. They're going to cut across all genres to take readers far beyond the comfort zones. Now, in the weeks ahead, we'll be talking to more Aftershock creators about their books, but you don't have to wait. Go to their website. You'll find full story descriptions, preview pages, and the diamond codes on these books to order through your local shop at AftershockComics.com. All right, let's get back into our conversation now on Word Balloon. 
So you're doing a new X-Men book. Tell me about the new X-Men book. Well, so it's a it's called Age of X-Men. It's a uh, sort of alternate universe crossover event. Uh, it's crafted by uh, uh, Lonnie Thompson, Zach Nadler, uh, or did I fuck that up? Zach Thompson, <laughs> Lonnie Nadler. Sorry, it's been a long day. Sorry, dudes. But uh, yeah, it's it's you know this uh, one of those things where the event takes over for the publishing schedule and all the books were become a new thing. Um, sort of like age of apocalypse did in the nineties. So, okay. Um, yeah. So this one I'm writing, um, apocalypse and the X tracks, which is in this world, uh, which is sort of ruled by the X-Men and it's a utopia. Um, apocalypse is the guy who sees the cracks in the system and he's this sort of resistance, uh, guy who, He's kind of like a guru. Uh, he's like a kind of, you know, he wears the Nehru collar and he preaches about peace and love. And uh, he leads this group of X-Men who are all like the uh, the sort of counterculture uh, to this, you know, really uh, controlled utopian vision of, of the Marvel Universe. So it's it's like the anti-Age of Apocalypse. That was a dystopia. Um, and this is like this perfect world. But of course, you know, and, and the mutants rule and everyone is a mutant and, and – uh, you know, but to keep that uh, system in place, they've outlawed relationships and love and family um, because all those things, if you're X-Men, is the thing that eventually kills you, right? I mean, if you're X-Men, eventually someone in your family goes to the future and comes back and fucking murders you. So, uh, <laughs> so in this world, that's uh, all that is illegal. Uh, it's monitored by their psychics, so like uh, it's this very. You know, we, we've got these resistant fighters, and they're dirty, and they're scrappy, and they one of their members uh, turns into a cloud of psychotropic drugs, and um, it's pretty crazy, and definitely, like, one of the weirdest things I've ever made, for sure, um, but I love it, and I, I just finished issue four today, and I was like, holy shit, I, I fucking pulled it off. That's a that's a tearjerker. <laughs> so is, so it, is it a five-issue? How many? It's how many five issues? issues, yeah. Okay. And are they are they new characters that Apocalypse is leading, or are they? Uh... Um, it's Dazzler and um, uh, Eye Boy and his son Genesis. Uh, yeah, Genesis, uh, also known as Evan. And um, uh, who else is on? I'm fucking this up. Oh, and uh, the new character is called Unveil, um, and she's uh, like a she's the one that turns into she looks like a '70s black light poster, like. <laughs> you know, the, the black lady with the big afro and colored in day, you know, day glow colors uh, that glows under um, a black light. She's she's that. Interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. That's cool. All right. There you go. But it, you, I mean, go ahead. It's it pretty seriously and it's pretty fun. And I, you know, working in the X-Men world, I think, would be intimidating to me if it wasn't for the fact that, like, this is a little more limited. Like, I know how this world works and, and, you know, um, I'm not tied to all those tons of crazy ass X-Men relationships that would drive me insane. Sure. <laughs> a little smaller, but, uh, but I love it. I'm having a great time with it. Uh, it's drawn by Selva Espin. He's, uh, he's a pretty good fit for it. I think he's drawn some like really good, um, open line, wide open, colorful, you know, stuff that can be filled in with tons of crazy colors and, and, uh, and yeah, Guru Apocalypse is one of my favorite things ever. It's awesome. Who, uh, who's editing, uh, that? That is Jordan White. My ah, buddy. Of course, our, our good friend Jordan White. Absolutely. Yeah, and Chris Robinson, um, Annalisa Bissa. And, uh, yeah, so those, those three are, are, are tackling this, ma- this monstrosity. But, um, but yeah, like Zach and Lonnie are, are also, you know, they're, I mean, they're new young guys and they crafted this insanely detailed, world with all this shit figured out like it's it's amazing and there's kind of show running it too so when i turn something in they read it and i talk to them about it so uh it's pretty cool i mean i don't think this is like their third or fourth comic series i don't think wow when i was you know doing that that i could have just stepped in and be like yeah here hand me the keys to the the x-men yeah jesus you know wow no that's very impressive props there fellows damn straight so tell me about uh, Swamp Thing, and uh, what are your plans for uh, Alec? Well, this this one is interesting because it's the direct to Walmart Swamp Thing book. Tell me about um, that. I was wondering if you were doing any. I didn't realize it was the direct to Walmart Swamp yeah, Thing. Yeah, well, I did the first couple issues of the Wonder Woman one, 
um, uh, like last whatever this in the summer, and then um, we they, they, there would have been talk about trying out Swan Thing, so they did this Halloween special, and it was kind of a surprise hit. Uh, so they said, well, we'd like to continue from that. Uh, Azarello and Capolo did the story for that. And um, so it was just like, here's the, the, the only thing we have is this, this short story. So pick up from there um, and give us, you know, accessible Swamp Thing stories. Like something that someone who doesn't regularly read comics but stops at a, at a, you know, at a Walmart and picks up a can of soda and a, and a beef stick and a comic book can understand, you know. Um, so of course I was like, well, I grew up in the middle of nowhere with out access to a comic book store. And when I went to a comic store, the things I would want to read would be like coolest shit possible. So of course I have Swamp Thing like fighting, you know, a, basically like a slasher and a monster truck and like all this <laughs> stuff. And I kind of used as my template the, the idea that when Bernie and Len did the book, this is exactly it. what I was going to say, Tim, uh, that that is exactly what it sounds like. It sounds like the, the beginnings of Swamp Thing. Go on. Well, yeah. So their, I think their pitch was, let's do a monster book about a monster who fights all new versions of the shit we loved as a kid, right? So the first Len and Bernie stuff is like their version of Frankenstein and, and sort of their take on Dracula and their take on the Wolfman and all the stuff that they grew up with as kids seeing on late night TV, you know, all the public domain or not the public domain, but all the, uh, the universal monster movies and, and all yeah. that sort of stuff. So they grew up to guys who were like, let's do our take on that. And they made this, you know, horror story, which they got to do new versions of familiar things. So I used that as my template. And I said, I'm going to do Swamp Thing from the perspective of a guy who grew up in the eighties. So, <laughs> so they take on like, you know, new versions of, like the slasher trope and they take a new version of the ghost trope and the, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, that's kind of my, my, my way of, of organizing the story, um, around a principle, which I think that's actually one thing I learned from Tom was make a rule and then your creativity will come from dealing with the rule. Right. And so Tom uses it as a format thing. Like he'll say every panel on this, in this book will be, uh, you know, long or, or, or it'll be nine of them on a page or whatever. And your creativity comes from dealing with restrictions, right? So for this, that was the template. It has to be like a modernized version of what Bernie and Lynn did. Uh, but like, you know, obviously I, it exists in the same world as Alan Moore's Swamp Thing and, and everybody who came back or after that, you know, Mark Miller and, and Nancy Collins and all those sort of takes on Swamp Thing where it's much more metaphysical and much more um, sort of fancy, dark fantasy and sort of stuff. So, so it's combining those things, but trying to tell something new and accessible. So, you know, I didn't want to go heavily into like stuff that's come since where it's like the green and right. And, Council of trees and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. like I use it. I can kind of mention it. I can use it as a, as a outline, but I don't want to make that the point. Like those things exist uh, for access, but they're, they're not the focus. So like, you know, as far as anyone needs to know, this is a guy who, you know, got covered in chemicals, fell burning into a swamp and came out as a monster. And he's not sure if he's a man or if he's a, a plant. And he's teamed with this, witch, um, who's kind of dragging him along to all these, these missions because she has something that she wants. And, and she's kind of knowing that he, feels responsible to some degree um for you know for these things that affect humanity that are that are not human um so it's it's a true monster story it's like our sort of uh you know i kind of base it's a little bit like how i did hack slash where vlad was the guy who looked like the monster but he was kind of the good heart and cassie uh who is looked like the the girl and the victim was actually kind of the monster sure we're doing here like Briar the witch is kind of more of a monster than than Alec is, but he but he needs her because she directs him to these things. Interesting. Who's your artist? Uh, it starts out with Mike Perkins. Issue one is Mike oh Perkins. great. I love Mike. Mike's great. And, He's amazing. Yeah, issues two and three are uh, Joelle Jones. Uh, Terrific. Which, yeah, and she'd always kind of wanted to do Swamp Thing, so this was their uh, you know thank you for doing Catwoman and being awesome. Let's have you do. 
these Swamp Thing stories. So she drew the shit out of them. Uh, I bet she did. No, that's that's man. I'll tell you. God, you know, Darrington's doing Batman with uh, Bendis and um, Kubert's doing um, Superman with uh, with Tom. No, this is great stuff. Who who was drawing your Wonder Woman? Uh, Rick Leonardi. Wow. I mean, there you go. Yeah. So it, they do. Yeah. I mean, they put these are very public facing. You know, they have to be like as good as we can do them. And sure. I think it's pretty cool. And, you know, the reason Tom gets really excited to write the Superman one because he gets to write. 12 pages of Superman a month instead of, you know, 48 pages of Batman. You know? It's like a little lighter commitment. It's more, there's less continuity. There's less, you know, and you know that you're making them for new people, which I think excites uh, comic creators to know that you're making something that, that someone who might not know this stuff is getting to see. Will, will they, will uh, Alec and, and uh, her name's Briar, the witch. Yeah. Are they going to, are they going to be exploring the, you know, DC horror, universe uh not at first but yeah definitely i mean you know i i can't do a story like this if i don't get to at some point bring in zatanna and blue devil and i mean i have to do that stuff so dead man people like that creeper sure. yeah like i want to do the dc horror universe characters are my favorite that's my favorite side of dc so um yeah like demon and constantine and um, cool. constantine and uh and <laughs> all those horror characters definitely you know, I, I put a lot of them in Justice versus Master Universe because of my affection for them. But now it's like this is the focus. So that's I'm awesome. That, yeah, man, that's that's terrific. I'm, uh, yeah, you know that I'm, I'm telling you, and I don't know because we live in the same area. Um, have you gone to that Walmart near us on Broadway and looked for the DC books there? I have. Yeah. Are they there? Yeah. Jesus! Yeah. I, all right, well then I'm looking in the wrong aisle because they're in the. It's like it's weird. They're at the counter next. To, they're next to the the registers. You know, they're in that. They are by the cashiers. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah, I mean, and mostly when I see them, they're all gone. Um, oh, like, there you go. Too. Them, when I was back in Wassa, they were. I think they were gone when I went there. So, um, yeah, we don't have access. We live in Chicago, which doesn't have WalMarts. Really, we don't have big box stores here. No, we, we have, have we suburbs, you and I, but... we live near a Walmart grocery store that has a pharmacy. But like I said, I don't know if I don't know if the Walmart like you 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 have seen them at that Walmart. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I think so. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Everything's blending together. But yeah, I understand. Yeah, I can well, I can appreciate <laughs> that too. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, you know, they're they're uh, when I lived in the Burbs, I was closer to a couple other WalMarts and stuff. I haven't gone back to those yet. And uh, no, that's the only Walmart I go to. And I, mean, uh, and I love the idea. I mean, I know it kind of is contradictory to the idea that we want comic book stores to open in, in rural places. But also, like, it, Walmart exists and people go there all the time. And they, sure. They Walmart. So having it in front of people who don't have comic book stores, to me, is is so huge. You know, I mean, that that's my my big you know, dedication to this is in trying to make the best stuff is knowing that there's going to be some kid somewhere, uh, who picks this thing up and it's the first comic he's ever seen. And he's going to open it up and he's going to see Swamp Thing fight a monster truck. And he's going to go, this is the greatest thing ever. So I'm just trying. <laughs> and it'll be drawn by Joel Jones. So it'll look amazing. And yeah, so that's kind of the goal. That's excellent. And no, and I, do you know what the other reprint stuff in, the book is and from is it other Swamp Thing stories? Is it other DC no, horror it's, stuff? Um, it's Shadow Pact and I'm trying to think what's all in there. Um, it's fairly recent stuff. I think it's Blue sure. Devil, the Blue Devil from uh, a little while ago. I think the new Fifty Two Blue Devil. I think is in there. Okay, and Shadow Pact and Zitana. I think I had it sitting on my table and I I lost it. Um, but yeah, they do you know some really smart reprint stuff, um, some really accessible stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I have to I have to assume that this will, you know, it'll 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 really delight some weird kid who who didn't know that this is what he needed in his life or she. <laughs> hey why. man, well that's that's you know like you know that's that's that was the it factor for us when we were kids and we saw our first comics. Absolutely. Yeah. No, for it's sure. it's 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 a it's a bold experiment, and I understand. Why they're doing it the way they're doing it, and I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, there are just people who will never walk into a comic store, but definitely will walk into a Walmart. So why not be there? 
and be there with something unique and, and also have your best people doing it. Um, I do hope, and I keep saying this, and I, I don't expect an answer from the creators because I'm sure if they do know, they're not allowed to say. But I, I do hope eventually that these uh, stories do wind up in the direct market. I would think that they'd almost have to. Yeah. I think they'll be trades. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, interesting it, it, makes, it makes more sense to do it that way, to collect the, the new parts into some kind of trade, you know, and then sell that at the comic book store versus – and, and you, know, you could sell it at Walmart or Walmart as well, but you can sell it, you know, at – I don't think the content is exclusive that way. I th- I'm not sure. But I think it's going to be collected for access because why wouldn't you do that? So. Yeah, man. No, it makes sense. Well, dude, Jesus, you got a, you got a full plate, and I'm glad that uh, things are going well. And as always, I, I appreciate your balance of when you work for other people and when you do your own thing. And, uh, you know, like I always say, you're, you're one of those high-concept guys. I always think your ideas are, are incredibly interesting and uh Make for good comics, and certainly hopeful that uh, you know revival will translate into uh, the vision that you and Mike had for it. And uh, yeah, man, no continued success as always. It's uh, always a pleasure talking to you, and uh, I'm thrilled with the new projects. Keep it up. And I pro- I will give you a trade of uh, Injustice versus Masters because I want you to read it. John. I, it would be so my pleasure. Want you to? <laughs> In fact, Dude, I'm telling you. you. And I'll give you some stuff. Well, I'll come to you because I know you're you're uh, you're you're on one foot, and I'll bring you. Some I am on one foot right now. <laughs> I'll Soon give to be you back a on too. Swamp thing. Uh, I will give one to you. Oh, thanks, buddy. You're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. We'll leave it right there. That was good. That was funny. Was thanks that cool? So much, was there? Any, did you? Did we miss anything? Are, are no, you, that's are, good. Think, all right, I'm cool. stopping. I mean, we didn't talk about. There you go, Tim Seeley. I uh, really look forward to our next conversation, both on the air and off the air. Again, I'm, I'm very fortunate being in the Chicago community. We've got so many great uh, creators locally, and uh, I've been very pleased to uh, become friends with many of them and uh, enjoy uh, hearing their thoughts as they continue their creative process. I hope you enjoyed today's Word Balloon. It was brought to you again by the League of Word Balloon listeners. If you'd like to subscribe to Word Balloon via Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash wordballoon, or you can go to uh, the Patreon ad right there on the front page of WordBalloon.com. WordBalloon is also brought to you by Aftershock Comics. Lots of great comic books have been coming out the last couple of years from Aftershock. Joe Pruitt, Mike Martz are uh, rounding up incredible talent, both new and old. Uh, people like Marguerite Bennett and Garth Ennis and Colin Bunn and other people like, well, geez, Phil Hester and, and of course our buddy Tim Seeley, who we spoke to today. Lots of great creators, interesting concepts, and don't forget, this year, 2019, they're calling it the Year of Reading Dangerously. Check out some of the new books that are coming out in the next few weeks and months. Things like Stronghold from Phil Hester and Ryan Kelly. Great team-up. Oberon, a new Supernatural series by Ryan Parrott. And Out of the Blue and Horde, just to name a few. In the week's ahead, we'll be talking to more Aftershock creators about their books, but... Right now, you can just go right to their website. There are incredible books from friends like uh, Paul Jenkins and uh, Brian Azzarello has a great series that he did with Eduardo Riso. Check out full story descriptions, preview pages, and the diamond codes on these books and more to order through your local shop at AfterShotComics.com. Thanks again for listening to today's Word Balloon. Uh, There's a companion Word Balloon episode out there today, and it is uh, my conversation with Chris Iliopoulos. A great talk. I hope you'll uh, check it out. We talk about uh, his wonderful work on the Brad Meltzer uh, and his books, the I Am Children's Biographies, and uh, the new PBS animated show that's coming uh, based on those incredible books, I Am Billie Jean King, out now. And uh, there's a whole bunch more waiting for you and uh, the children in your life. Good stuff. Check it out. And uh, come back to Word Balloon in the next couple days, and we'll have another interview waiting for you. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2019.